The epistle is from James chapter 1. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. I read an article just recently about our inability to listen. It was citing some statistics about the difference, this is the interesting part, the difference between how well we think we listen and how well we actually do. So most people imagine that they are very good listeners. You're paying attention, you're hearing the words, you recognize the sounds, you're a good listener, and yet, on average, we retain really only about 50% of what we hear, and that's, that's right away after you've heard it. That's not a week later or a day later, that's like the next moment. Now, don't quote me on those statistics, because I wasn't paying very close attention when I was reading the article. <laughs> I was afraid that that joke wouldn't go over. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> Now, one of the ways that we recognize this difference between listening and actually paying attention, you, you know this in your lives, men and women often have a really hard time communicating with one another. So what you say and what is heard may be very different things. That happens often. I see a lot of people turning and looking at each other. Yeah, that's the way it is for us. Now, that's a physiological difference. I think there's a, a good explanation for that in the way that our brains are wired. So men and women think about things differently. But sometimes, sometimes uh, we're just a little bit hasty. We're not really paying close attention. So I read a story, a tragic story, about a, a fellow who was a gambler, and he was at the racetrack. And he sent his wife a telegram. This would have been about 100 years ago. Sent his wife a telegram explaining what had happened. Uh, and she read the telegram, and, and it, she read it as, Broke. I even lost on this one horse that was a sure thing. So, in desperation, figuring that he had lost all his money, she sold this precious piece of jewelry that she had. It was worth a lot of money and she sold it, uh, she pawned it away for far less than it was worth because she figured her husband was broke. Well, it turns out she had read the telegram too hastily. It said, broke even, which is a very different message, right? What he said and what she heard were very different. Now that's kind of plain and ordinary. This happens all the time. There are misunderstandings in life. We miscommunicate. And often tragedy results, but there's not much you can do about that. There's more going on in our inability to listen, more than just a difference in the way men and women think, or more than just being a little bit distracted. And that is because our sinful hearts influence the way we hear. So in a very real and painful way, our hearts filter everything that we hear through the lens of self-interest. So often when we are listening, we're asking the wrong questions. We're asking, what can I get out of this? Where am I going? What am I going to say next? How is this going to improve my life? We're thinking about ourselves 
instead of others. We filter things through the lens of self-interest. That's built into our hearts. Maybe you can recognize that in your own lives, that when you're listening, you might be listening for something in particular, what you want to hear. You might be tuning out what you don't want to hear. You might be listening to comfortable things and avoiding uncomfortable things. We filter everything that goes in our ears through that filter of self-interest. That's a real problem. Now, the problem that James is identifying today in our epistle lesson, when he says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, he's identifying how big of a problem that is. Our failure to listen, our failure to apprehend what somebody says to us is not just that we might all of a sudden end up with some false information. You might think that your husband is broke when he actually broke even. That's a bad thing, but that's not really a problem. The problem is this, that when we hear what other people say and we filter them through our lens of self-interest, all of a sudden you and I become false witnesses. False witnesses. We have taken something in, we have seen something, we have heard something, but it is not what actually happened. It's not what was actually said. And that is why when James begins with being quick to hear, he follows it with slow to speak. Because there's a way to take things in our ears that just comes right out of our mouths the next moment and see what happens. When you take something in and you filter it through the lens of self-interest and then it comes right out of your mouth, it is completely different from what actually happened. It is completely different, and you have become a false witness. Now, the, kind of, the last and the kind of worst instance of that is when you speak in false witness to somebody about themselves, when you accuse somebody of something or you condemn somebody for something that they didn't actually do or say. That's kind of the, the peak, the pinnacle of this problem. But it begins earlier. It begins already when we speak to ourselves. When we take things in through our ears and then we say something different in our own hearts, that's where the conversation begins. We all have, to some degree or another, an internal monologue that goes on, where we rehearse the things that have happened, rehearse the things that we have seen and heard, and we tell a story about ourselves, tell a story about other people, and see, see how easy it is for that story to quickly become untrue. How the things that we have heard and the things that we have seen filtered through our own self-interest create a story in which we are the heroes, we are the righteous ones, we are the ones who do everything correctly, who've never done anything wrong, and everybody else is a scoundrel or, at best, a little bit stupid. It's a terrible story. It's simply not true. We have become false witnesses to ourselves. That's where the problem begins. And then it goes on, because, of course, you don't, everybody has a little bit of tact, and you don't go straight to the person you're condemning and condemn them to their face. You begin by condemning them to other people, right? So you become a false witness to other people. You've already broken the Eighth Commandment in several ways. And it's dangerous. It's dreadful. Because it leads to this last step that James identifies. He says that the height of this is when we are quick to anger. James talks about our tongues as being instruments of fire. And just as it takes a little spark to ignite a whole fire, we, by our sinful nature, are like a big bellows that's poised and ready to blow air on anything that is smoking. That's what we are by nature. 
It makes us feel good. It makes us feel righteous. It makes us feel better than others. It makes us feel like we can stand in the face of judgment. And so we are ready to go. We are slow to hear. We are quick to speak. And we are ready to be angry. That's what sin has done to us. And the damage that is caused by such sin is dreadful. How can you reverse a forest fire? If you steal something, you can give it back. But if you tell a lie about somebody, and that lie spreads from one person to two more, to four more, to 16 more, how can you ever undo the damage that you've done? The forest has been burnt down because we are slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger. Now, the world knows that that's a dreadful situation to be in. And you can get lots of advice in our world about slowing down and listening. There's lots of strategies. If you search the internet for how to be a better listener, you can come up with all kinds of strategies. You can repeat back the things that are said to you. You can stop thinking about what you're going to say next. You can ask all kinds of questions. Those are things that can make you a better listener. But the reason why James identifies this problem is not just because it's awkward and uncomfortable, not just because it kind of throws a wrench in the gears of this world, but he says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. So when people try to sort things out on their own by listening poorly and then speaking too quickly, or even when they try to listen better and speak more slowly all on their own, the best that you can do, the best that you can do is produce a worldly kind of righteousness. So if you live among people and everybody listens well and people speak carefully and nobody is slandering anyone, that's good. That's a good place to be. But still, it's only a worldly kind of righteousness. And worse, in fact, self-righteousness. That's the worst and final state for a human being. To be self-righteous. To stand by my own defenses. Feeling like I have made my own way. That I have accomplished everything that was expected of me, that I can stand before God's throne. No one can stand before God's throne. No one can hear the accusations leveled against them by God's law. No one can endure that, no matter how good you feel about yourself. No matter how much you have tuned out all the voices all around you and feel like you are doing okay, none of that matters in the face of God's judgment. And so James warns against being hasty in our anger, because if it does not lead to the righteousness of God, there is no other option. No other option but devilish and demonic outcomes, unrighteousness and wickedness and destruction. Think about that. When we are self-righteous, when we set ourselves up as judges of what is good and right and true, we put ourselves in the place of God. Now, I don't have to know anything individually about any of you to know that I don't want you to be God. I don't want me to be God. If I'm the measure of righteousness, if you're the measure of righteousness, we are all done for. None of us is good. No, not one. And the result is that forest fire burns. It burns and burns with no one putting it out, and it consumes, in the end, finally, all of us. I warn you, brothers, be quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. For we are not aiming at the righteousness of man, not aiming least of all at self-righteousness. 
but we're aiming at the righteousness of God. Now, what is that? What is the righteousness of God? Where does it come from? How is it produced? Well, notice this. James isn't just throwing around terms loosely. He's not saying, look, I want you to be slow to anger because you're not very good at being angry. But he says, be slow to anger because that, in fact, is one of God's characteristics. Listen to how God identifies himself in Exodus chapter 34. When he's standing before Moses and he's naming himself, he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, slow to anger. That is who God is. He is willing to suffer wrong willing to endure insults, willing to endure spite, not desiring to condemn. Many people in our world, and even many Christians, misunderstand God's wrath. They think that he delights in anger, that he just can't wait to lash out against sinners, that he's so ready to condemn, he's got his thumb on the nuclear button, he's ready to launch. The only reason people think that is that's because that's how we are ready to launch the nuclear weapons as soon as possible at the slightest provocation. But that's not who God is. He's slow to anger. Look at his patience. Adam and Eve broke his trust in the Garden of Eden, and he could have ended it all then, in that moment. And yet, he endured. Generations upon generations, thousands and thousands of years of wicked people, Sinners like you and me, filling this world with violence and lies and anger, he endured all of that because he is slow to anger. Because he's abounding in steadfast love. He could have snuffed you out from the moment you were conceived, from already your conception, you were full of sin. He could have snuffed you out like a candle then, but he did not. He was slow to anger, calling you to repentance, drawing you closer and closer to him, Our God is righteous in this, that he loves those who do not deserve it. He's not a bellows poised to blow onto a smoldering uh, spark in a forest. He's quite the opposite. He's a big old bucket of water ready to douse out a flame as soon as it emerges. That's who our God is. Not wrathful because he loves it, but wrathful only because he loves what is good and because he wants to preserve the righteous. That's the best news for you and me. Because the problem, the problem is never outside of myself. The problem is always in my heart. We like to tell these stories. When we get angry, when we start to spread false witness about people even in our own hearts, we like to tell these stories, and in those stories, the problem is always someone else's problem. It's always at least started with someone else. They're the source of the trouble. They're the source of the temptation. It's their fault. But listen, it's not true. The problem is always me. I am always the problem. I don't mean me, Pastor Bukes, is always the problem. But you, you, the I sitting in these pews, we are always the problem. This is how St. James puts it in just a few verses earlier. He says, every person is enticed and lured by the sin in his own heart. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
That desire, when it has conceived, brings forth sin. And that sin, having been born, when it is fully grown, brings death. James says, don't blame anyone else for the temptation to be angry. Don't blame anyone else for the temptation to sin. It grew out of your own heart. That's why God, being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, why that's the best possible news. I cannot curb my tongue. I cannot hold my wrath back. I cannot stop my sinful heart, but he has promised to do it for me. He has promised to snuff out the flame before it begins. He has promised to give me a new heart. A heart that loves what is good. A heart that does not lie. A heart that is quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. That's the gift of God. That's the gift that comes from God's immense love shown in Jesus Christ on the cross. You think about all of those forest fires that have been started over the course of the generations and generations filling this world. You think about the damage that has been done, the reputations destroyed, the anger that has been bred and cultivated. All of that, every last bit of that, every last drop of that is what Jesus endured on the cross. All of the scorn and all of the spite that people have for one another, Jesus took into himself. All of the hatred of God, all of the desire not to hear his word and to turn away from what is good, he took that in himself. He took that in himself because he loves you and he wants to forgive your sins. Now it's important to note that although the instructions here are to be slow to anger, that does not mean that there is never a time to be angry. We should take our cue from Jesus when it comes to anger. Jesus gets angry, but he gets angry about the right things. He does not get angry when people call him names, when they insult him, when they lie about him. He does not get angry. But he does get angry when people get in the way of the gospel, the good news that his heavenly Father loves them. When those merchants and money changers were in the temple selling their wares and obscuring the good news that God is gracious, Jesus made a cord of a whip of cords, and drove them out. He drove them out because he wants nothing to stand in the way. His anger is about the right things. It is not self-serving. It is not self-righteous. But it is in pursuit of the best news this world has ever heard. Jesus gets angry about injustice. He gets angry when people are treated unfairly, when people suffer. Jesus gets angry when the devil has his way. And people are led into despair. Jesus gets angry about the right things. It is not for us. It is not for us to take vengeance. It is not for us to be vindictive. But God does take vengeance. He is angry and judges the wicked. He does clear the threshing floor so that you and I, so that you and I can be safe by faith, trusting in his promises. That's what Jesus is talking about. When he says the Spirit will come to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's a conviction. It's a kind of judgment. That the sin of the world is dreadful because no one believes in God. When we do not believe in God, when we do not put our trust in him, we are lost. He convicts the world concerning righteousness because the righteousness of this world is worthless. But his righteousness saves. He convicts the world of judgment because he is cast out. The devil, in his righteous anger, vindicating you and me, 
showing that our faith has not been in vain, for he has destroyed the devil and all his power. I like to tell the kids that you get good at what you practice. So if you practice being quick to hear by listening to the scriptures, if you practice that, you get good at it. If you practice being slow to speak, not just uttering the things that have come into your ears and filtered through your heart, but repeating the things that God has said, praying to Him. If you are slow to speak from your own heart and instead speak from His Word, if you practice that, you will get good at it. If you pray, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, which is a prayer that God would protect you from the devil, the world, and from your own sinful nature. When you pray that, He delivers. He is the one who has said, ask and you will receive. Ask and you will receive. When you practice being slow to anger, when you practice putting out the fire instead of making it bigger, when you practice those things, you get good at them. And you can do all of that, you dear Christians, you can do all of that as a good work in this world. Not because you're so wonderful, not because you're so skillful, but because you've been given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that comes from God to do exactly this, to love as God loves, to be slow to anger, to be abounding in mercy, not to desire condemnation, but to forgive. To forgive at every turn. Live in that way and see. Just wait and see what wonders God works among you. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.